Hello. 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 Okay, that doesn't work. <laughs> At 37 Disney Street, which isn't far from you, three Disney fans have watched a film which they will now review. Hello friends and welcome to 37 Disney Street. We're bippity-boppity back to the classics this week as we feast our senses on classic number 12, 1950's Cinderella. I'm pompous windbag Chris Fletcher. I'm a pumpkin short of a ball gown, I'm Lucinda Rain. Babadee, babadee, bay. my name is Yee. <laughs> so, uh, we're, we're back. I know, it's been a while, hasn't it? Well, I guess to the listeners, it it hasn't at all, has it? Because we've managed to pad it out with a couple of other episodes. But I don't know about you, I'm feeling quite nervous today. Yeah, I haven't seen your pretty face in three weeks. It must have been really hard for you. It was. I, I've seen it in my dreams. Yeah, yeah. Most Do you mind? I am here, guys. Yeah, but I see your pretty face all the time. Hmm, okay. You're not the only person to say that they've been dreaming about me over the holidays, you know? Cause, uh, oh, kinky boots. I know. But I thought we all lived in the same house. Yeah, we do, but we exiled him to the garage after, you know, the gaff. I couldn't unlock the door. I was I was stuck there for quite a long time. As it should be. Yeah. So, um, this week we're going to talk about Cinderella, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Do you want a bit of background? Is that my job? Oh, that's what we do, isn't it? Yeah, is background first. And yeah, then... yeah, well, <laughs> and, then, and then Lucy's job is to say, Chris, would you like to know a bit about this? And then sometimes I, because like, on the Ichabod one, I didn't say anything, but in previous ones, I've gone, what about me? And then you said, well, what about you? And I said, well, actually, no, I don't. No, and that's you, like a little you thing don't have an in, You don't have an inquiring mind, Hugh. That's why I don't ask you. Yeah, I, I like the right. way that we're explaining what it is that we do in the podcast for people who maybe just tuning into <laughs> yeah. this one for the first time. This is a great jump on episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we, yes, we will in a second. But just I suppose I ought to say that we do this format that we've been doing the whole way through. And it's always the same. And we talk about the story and the animation and the music and then we score it all and that's what happens okay if you've listened to previous episodes you'll have known that there's been a bit of a rise and a fall in the walt disney fortunes up to here there's been the highs of snow white the critical acclaim of bambi the crippling crippling debts it's like dallas we seem to have been in debt for a long time we have and by 1948 there were four million dollars in debt <laughs> And Can I just say it in today's money? Let me just work that out. Mm-hmm. That's £98,000. What about after Brexit? Oh, that's uh, $20 trillion. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there were £4 million uh, pounds in debt. And talking to his um, the banks, talking to his debtors, Walt Disney managed to convince them that cuts weren't the answer and that pressing ahead with production was the only way to repay the debts. So, these decided they were going to go back to full-length feature films, the ditch-the-package thing, they'd satisfy their debtors with another Snow White. So what Literally. Did they, what did they make? Another Snow White. Literally. It's based on Fairy Tale by Charles Perrault, and they had actually done a short of it in 1922, Silent, of course. 
and then attempted to develop a short in 1933 that they couldn't condense enough, so they then did a treatment in 1938 for a full-length film, and it was battered back and forth for 10 years until it was decided that this was the story that was going to um, reclaim their fortunes. And the rest, they say, is history. Wow. So it's almost like um, a reboot then, really, I guess. They rebooted Disney. They did. They had a few on the table. I think they had Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan there ready to go. But it was decided at this point that they needed, well, another Snow White, I think. Interesting. Snush. More like. You give it straight tens. No, no, I meant this is like this. This oh, oh I this love, is okay. I love sorry, Snow yeah. White. Yeah, if this is Snow White like rebooted, then it's Snow Naughty Word. <laughs> We're a family show. I don't. You're uh, the one who tells us off for swearing. Well, I didn't swear though. No, no. That, he did a very impish grin as he said. I it, alluded <laughs> to it though, didn't I? <laughs> I think we're dwelling on this. Somewhere. Right. So we tend to start with story and characters. No, do we? Yeah. Yeah. Story, yeah, story, story. and characters. Story. It's not been that long, guys. It's been, about, <laughs> it's been about three weeks, hasn't it? Okay. Hugh, how did you like it? Uh. Well, can I just say our version is the uh, Diamond Edition DVD, notable for its extra feature, which is um, what's it called? Tangled Ever After. Ooh, oh, yeah. I quite like Tangled Ever After. It's good, isn't it? So mm-hmm. uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but um, uh, Maximus and Pascal are chasing wedding rings around the town. That's brilliant, that. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. great. But that's the extra feature. So that was a highlight for you then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really was. Um, it's very girly, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I know there's nothing wrong with that in this day and age, in this gender-fluid Oh, in that day and age. But it wasn't really for me. No. Well, I I had a chat uh, yesterday, actually, with one of our friends, uh, Lacey Telford. um, And what Lacey said about Cinderella was that it was very of its time. It seemed to be one of the things she said an awful lot about it. And she alluded quite a lot to the gender stereotyping, which I think is probably why it's as girly as it is as well. Yeah, it, that's in both the positive and the negative. Because yeah. not only you've got the beautiful, graceful Snow White, you've also got, you know, the, the dried up old husk of a stepmother and then the evil, jealous, you know, bitchy girls. Um, which is, that that's a female stereotype I take to heart the most, I think, is this, you know, that girls can't be pleased for each other or sisterly or nice. They always have to be catting and competing that, that is like real life though, isn't it? I've seen the way women look at each other in the pub. Have you ever noticed that? When they meet for the first time, they'll go, hiya. And then if you watch them carefully, when they, when they, when one of them isn't looking, the other one will just go, the smile will drop a little bit and they'll just look them up and down, taking the, the whole costume and the body and just analyse them. I didn't say it wasn't reality. I just said I wasn't a big like fan it. of it. You're totally right though, Hugh. It happens. It happens. Um, so yeah, it is very female, female driven. But I think this story is weak to begin with. I think Disney did not have the strong. I mean, there's problems with it. 
there's problems with the fairy tale of Cinderella and the fairy tale of Cinderella's got like three balls or something more like the Into the Woods version <laughs> excuse me? yes yeah, so <laughs> should we just start this whole episode again it's been an absolute shambles no carry on <clears throat> yeah so I think the original fairy tale is quite hollow itself and it's a, a beautiful traditional fairy tale that lends itself very well to a Disney film. But I don't think that they had the most to work with. And I actually think that they managed to adapt it quite well in the same way they did with Snow White, is there's a lot of distraction. There is a lot of padding. Yeah. I, I would go back to what I said right at the beginning of Snow White. What story? It yeah. Just, it just... Yet again, exactly the same thing. And, and the parallels between the two films are so big. Mm. You've got um, you've got this story that sets the sets the plot of the story right at the beginning. Then nothing happens for forty minutes, and then it rushes out the story, the the rest of the story at the end. Mm. You've got the same uh, female character in a lot of respects. Although I would say that Cinderella's probably got a bit more about her than Snow White mm. does. You've got mice instead of of the seven dwarfs, but you've got it's the same kind of it's the same kind of thing. Less gaggy than the, than not gaggy like yeah, <laughs> less yeah. gags uh, <laughs> and, and more that there actually is a bit of a plot there with them. <laughs> Fewer gags. Thank you. <laughs> I knew you get to use that bell somewhere. Um, yeah, so fewer gags um, and, and more of a more of a story, I guess, with the mice than than you possibly got with the. Dwarfs, but it's exactly the same thing. I thought in Snow White the padding uh, worked really well and it was engaging. Whereas in this, I got kind of fed up after a while and I really wanted them to get on with it. Yeah, I I can feel a little um, dislike brewing for Cinderella, and I really want to defend her now. Uh, she is a parallel with Snow White, but Snow White was the most two-dimensional, unexplored character ever. And I think from the minute the film starts, Cinderella, it, she's got more personality. She's got an actual personality. When she sort of wakes up and she flicks the bird away and she says, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. Um, but she's pleasant with it. And I I think that she's strong. And she's in a terrible situation. And if she wasn't, the story wouldn't work. They can't change that. But the way she copes with the situation, the fact that she is a little bit um, snarky at times. Towards... She's incredibly resilient yes. in, in the situation. She's also, her character is developed before you even see it. See her. In Snow White, the opening is, there's not much to it. She kind mm. of, she's just this little girl and everything's fine. Someone, well, the queen decides that she wants her dead. So the huntsman goes after her and then she runs off into the woods with this before you even see cinderella you know that she was abused as a child mm -hmm. you, you know uh, that her father's dead mm -hmm. and so you've, you've kind of established that character straight away this like i say there's so much more about her as a character than there is snow mm -hmm. white um and, and what you said about padding hugh I, I don't agree quite as much that it's padding in this film because what the padding did in snow white was for me was lull you into a false sense of security of all everything's happy and nice before um you know the queen transforms and you get all that all that kind of quite scary stuff to happen towards the end in cinderella all everything that's happening there is building up her character and how oppressed she is and and how she's treated by her, her stepsisters and by her stepmother and um, to make you kind of 
fight for her to make you want to to um mm. you know appreciate her more which which then makes you feel happier that she gets out of there at the end i found myself um i think she's an idiot <laughs> oh huey and i found myself getting annoyed at just how obedient she is and how wantonly evil the stepmother and the ugly sisters are to her um but it's frustrating how she just goes along with it and i don't find it I don't have any sympathy as such. I just think, what are you doing? What What would you have done in the same situation? I'd have slapped that <laughs> lady. But what's I mean, she called? Lady Tresemme. Tre- uh, <laughs> lady Tremaine. I, I think this is part of it, though, because the setting up this... I, I mean, again, it is very of its time. And what you think of positive female characteristics now are not the same as positive female characteristics then and that resilience and obedience and perpetual cheerfulness was very very valued that's what you wanted to be i know you're shaking your head but we are 60 years later (laughs) we are 69 years later it's a very very different sensibility that you're watching it with i know that but uh it's you know when she comes downstairs she's uh she's got that pink dress made yeah, by the animals. The beautiful pink dress. Yeah, and she comes down ready for the ball. And she she says, isn't it lovely? Do you like it? Do you think it will do? As if they're suddenly going to be nice to her. Doesn't she learn? Yeah, that is a good point. I thought I that's mean, the same I mean, I think time. she's a bit thick. <laughs> and do you know what? I've got a theory that they're so horrible to her because she's so much of an airhead that she's, um, <laughs> she's nearly killed them all on several occasions through her stupidity. So now they keep her busy by giving her chores and they're eating, they're nasty to her because she keeps nearly killing them, burning the house down because, you know, she leaves things now, cooking. Oh, now, that, we, now we know what you were doing during all the padding. You were making that your own poor prince, I had to make up my own plot because there wasn't one. <laughs> but back to the padding as well is like I thought that Snow White could almost be Grumpy's film, this could almost be Gus's film. Yes, yes. Because he's, he's found in the trap at the beginning and he's rescued by this beautiful woman and then he, he become you know, he sort of starts to almost serve her in uh, adoration and the little adventures he goes on and the fact that he goes to the ball with her and he facilitates that, so do all the other mice. And then at the end, that little climb up the stairs with the key, it's as much about the mice and their what's happening in their lives as it is about Cinderella. You don't get that in Snow White. You don't get that at all in Snow White. So if we're talking about parallels between the two films, that that's why that's why in my in my view the story is better yes. in Cinderella than it is in. Oh, Snow good. White. I thought you were saying it the other way. No, 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 then. no. I thought you were like you don't get mice in Snow White. No, no. What, what I'm what I'm saying is that that the the mice are a, are a proper thought out sub subplot. Yes. They've been brought in to add another dimension, and there's yes. parallels in the story between them and the mm. cat, and what's happening there to what's happening in the real story in that oppression and and Absolutely. but they're there to help as well and they're also a little bit like um the the hired help in like Downton Abbey or whatever I love the way that they kind yeah. of creep around the house for all little like little back entrances yeah, and stuff like they that, get but... to see the whole film is done from Cinderella's point of view to the point where for the first I don't know how long 20 minutes of the film the ugly sisters and Lady Tremaine are in their bedrooms and all you hear is their voices shouting Cinderella Cinderella and when mm-hmm. you eventually meet Lady Tremaine it's like trapdoor Bert feed yeah, me exactly like that Lummy. and um, oh, when you meet it. Lady Tremaine she's in the shadows and you hear her voice and she says come in close the door you don't even see her you just see the cat's eyes and so it's all 
from Cinderella's point of view and having those mice scurry around, you get to do a bit of exposition because they can go in rooms that she's not in. So you can see what's going on in these different rooms through the mice's eyes. Yeah, and it also means that, that she's got someone to talk to so that they can actually move yeah. the story on. Does anyone else talk to these mice? Do you think she's nuts? I, listen, I right. did write that down. Listen. How, does she, how does she understand what the mice are saying? Right. Imagine, yeah, imagine you're the prince. This is Prince Charming, isn't it? Prince Bland. Yeah, is, is, that's it. No. He, he is Prince Charming, isn't he? Yes. He is Prince Charming. Yes. Okay. Snow White's prince is just just a prince. Um, but imagine you're him, right? You marry this beautiful woman and you come back from your honeymoon. Maybe even on your honeymoon, you know, she starts saying, this is Gus Gus. And he'd be like, oh, what? It's, it's who? This is Gus Gus and this is... Jeremy and this is Brian. Why why are they wearing clothes? Yeah. Um what on earth have I done? He's thinking. This is you know, this is the problem with any um love at first sight thing that you see in these fairy tales. <laughs> is they are, they didn't have a conversation. This is pure lust. They danced together, stared into each other's eyes, and that's it, they're getting married. Um it's like love is an open door, you, isn't it? Yeah, you think this could be uh this could be a disaster on the honeymoon. Um they do sound like Morph and Chaz, though, those mice, don't they? You, you know, Morph, <laughs> do Morph and Chaz, Do you know who did the voice? Uh, no. It was the head of... Excuse me. Head of... Excuse me. The head of uh, sound design. The most polite department <laughs> in Disney. Yeah, the head of sound design, who was doing all the sound effects, just did them himself. It was easier. And he's also the second voice of Mickey Mouse. We all know that Walt was the original voice of Mickey Mouse, but due to smoking and shouting... Oh, yeah, because in Fun and Fancy Free, Mickey, Mickey sounded a bit gruff, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he was struggling a bit. To go, Hiya, pal! <laughs> Come on, Pluto! Let's get a hot dog! So you mangy mutt! It's Jimmy McDonald's. Oh. Who is also the voice of uh, Mickey Mouse? Jane McDonald. I've got some other good little facts to do with the voices. Would you like to hear them? I would love to hear some facts about voices. Kidoki. She asked you again and not me. Like oh, me. what the listeners can't see <laughs> is the dirty looks I'm giving these two naughty little boys right now to make them calm down. He's had caffeine again. He's had bloody caffeine I again. I never have caffeine unless we do this show. I'm, I'm having uh, Coca Cola, zero sugar, peach. And how is it? It's okay. <laughs> I give it a six out of ten. You can get those in the uh, Coke freestyle machines in Disney World. Yeah. Okay, Harry not so affiliated get, with Coke. Harry so I can get back to more examples of how she's an idiot. <laughs> There's okay. no way to talk about Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> Cinderella's voice was done by Eileen Woods, and she was actually she recorded the demo songs for um, Walt to listen to, and he fell in love with her voice just through the demos. You know, the ones that the composers I like, I like the do. idea that she's, yeah, yeah. she's recording a demo, like a sort of a, a bedroom indie star, and she's got a little recorder and a guitar, and she's like, uh, what songs are they? So this is love, la 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 la. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly not like that. Have, have you heard any of them? I know we'll talk about music later, but have you heard any of them? The demos? Yeah. No. Oh. Oh, we'll talk about it later. Come oh, on. okay, okay. Oh, I'm um, not sure if that or is a good or or a bad or. We'll find out. What a teaser. Good, it's a good or. Oh. Right. Eleanor Ardley, who played Lady Tremaine, was also Maleficent and Madame Leota in the theme parks. Okay, now you feel like you can't respond, don't you? We, but we got told off. <laughs> it's been cut out, but we got told off for being too silly. Carry on. Oh, dear. Um... 
The king and the grand duke were both voiced by the same guy, which Ooh, I found interesting because yeah. they've got scenes together. So, the, I mean, I know that that's not how people record when they're doing these animated things, but that must have been quite a weird mm. day in the booth. And um, Betty Lou Gerson, uh, sorry, Gerson, who was the narrator, was also Cruella Deville, and is a Disney legend. There you go. That's all I have. Continue telling us how Cinderella's an idiot. <laughs> Do you know when she gets to the ball? Yeah. Right. And it's a massive room and everyone's in it. And if you look in the background, she's walking up and down. She's doing that thing where she's sort of like craning a bit and she's got, got her hands up and she's looking around like, oh, where do I go? Like princesses do. And it's like, turn around. There's a massive room full of people behind you. She's an idiot. And she didn't know she'd met the prince, didn't she? She's in it. She's a moron. To be fair, she's a moron. To be fair, the fact that she's made it to the um, to the ball in the first place when she's probably never been there before, that's one thing. But obviously, she was put in a coach and taken there. She then had to escort herself into the building, and I can't imagine that she's ever been to a palace to a ball before in her life. So I think you're being a little bit harsh. There, she's institutionalised. She's been in the attic for 15 years. I was going to say, I don't know how she dresses herself, but she doesn't. The mice do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and some birds put her bra on. And it's then the weird. godmother dresses her as well. So Yeah. It's, it's a bit sorting. It's, it's, it's not just it? her that's stupid. Um, she's, she's dancing with Prince Charming and Lady Tresemme sees her and says, oh, she, she looks familiar. I'm sure I've seen her somewhere before. Yeah, and then yeah. she goes to have a closer look and the curtain's shut. You've been living with her for 20 years. But her hair's up. She's got an updo. That's one of my problems with the live action one. What's, what's that girl out of Downton Abbey called? Lily James. Lily James. He doesn't recognise Lily James the second time round when she has got one of the biggest mouths and 50 pence heads that has ever graced this earth and he doesn't recognise her. Yeah, he's... It's bonkers. Everyone in this kingdom is stupid. He, he can't recognise her unless... It, the shoe fits her. What if it fits someone else earlier? Would he just have married her? But I mean, Clark, in, in Clark honest... Kent got away with a quiff and glasses. In all honesty, you're talking about a fairy tale here. Most fairy tales, people are stupid. Hansel and Gretel, they're pretty stupid. They went to a house made of, of sweets and biscuits and stuff, knowing full well they were going to yeah. seal their doom. And, and they in, went anyway. And in the original, uh, she gets married to a, a, like a prince who comes to find him at the end. And uh, she's like 11. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like a fully grown man. Well, you can kind of understand the stupidity if he was only 11 yeah. years old, I guess. And also, uh, when the fairy godmother appears, she literally appears underneath her as she's crying and she just kind of sits back and she doesn't even notice at first, even though someone's just appeared. She's just materialised and then she's on her lap and then she kind of sits back and sort of goes, oh. I love that <laughs> bit. I, I love that bit for, for one reason, which is that the the Cinderella story... It isn't a fairy godmother. She goes to the tree of her mother and it's her mother who comes through and does this stuff. And she goes there and she to the uh, bench and she puts her head down on the bench crying underneath the tree and that's where it happens. And I feel like it might not be, but I feel like that was a bit of a nod to what the story should have been. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Hugh, I feel like you're being one of those people who would say Back to the Future couldn't happen. Yeah. Or Jurass is, Jurassic Park isn't based on real science. We kind of know. This is just what struck me when I was watching it. I just found her dislikable and everyone everyone involved well, she's was She's lovely. Was she's charming. But you never, you never had did, a, did I just say dislikable? Yes. <laughs> you never had a problem with uh, um, with Snow White and her stupidity? No, I like her. She's brilliant. 
But but <laughs> there's so many parallels. No, but she's got skills. She's got re- she's got mad skills. She can make a gooseberry pie like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> Cinderella can carry three tea trays all at the same time. Oh, I did like the way she uh, she she slightly turns to the side as she goes through the door. Is that it? Is that a redeeming feature? <laughs> she does it twice. She 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 just ever so slightly just turns to the side, and they don't make a big deal about out of it. It's just sort of in the background. Well, Ooh, when we, that could be a nice uh, segue onto animation. If anyone has got anything else to say about story characters, um, have I got anything else to say about story? Um, the only other thing I wanted to say about story, actually, yeah, was was the the parallels of dreams. So, dream is a a wish your heart makes is is what she sings about. But there's also the dog dreaming about catching the cat, and the king dreaming about having kids, uh, having grandkids on his back playing with them and stuff. And just that, that whole idea of dreams and everybody's dreams is there the whole way through the film. Mm. It's quite nicely woven in. I think the um, the king's quite a nice character, actually. That Like, he's driving it. Because that's quite a simple and... I won't say noble, but it's a, it's a simple loving wish. I just... I want some grandchildren before I die. That's really nice. It's not cynical, is it? No, no, not at all. I, I, I really like that. Because when we haven't talked about Prince Charming really, but he's a very hollow character. There's not a lot to him. But he barely speaks. His his dad and the Duke are what bring his character to life. Mm. So that that interplay between those two is what brings that to life. And to me, there's a lot of parallels with that, with the 1939 film Gulliver's Travels. I don't know if you've ever seen it. No, I don't think I have. Animated film, yeah. Um, And the way that the kings are in that, because in in that film they have two faceless uh, children uh, who don't look who aren't animated in the characterful way like the rest of them in the same way as these are in the same way as Snow White was um, and they're very hollow characters there's not a lot about them but everything you know about them you know from their parents and their feuds and stuff and, and that's kind of how you develop the characters mm-hmm. some similarities there that's all mm-hmm. I wanted to say well no you do, you do you get that affection for the prince just because you see those portraits of him getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then that really big one and what you kind of feel is that he is he's a really he's a right good lad and his dad's dead proud of him and that's what you need to know really isn't it yeah you know and and that he has an enormous amount of pressure on him to find someone to be with Mm. because his his father who all he wants is grandkids is putting that pressure on him um but he wants to find the right person and i think seeing them for a split second as they come to the top of the stairs the reason cinderella's story has um resonated with so many generations for so long is they have to not recognise each other or know each other because she can't be a gold digger and he can't be choosing. You know, he has to be blinded by love, doesn't he? So it has to transcend status. So I know, like, in every version of this, it'll be a bit picky, like, how did she not know he was the prince? How did he not recognise her? But it kind of has to be like that or the whole story doesn't work. I was watching a featurette about it about this film the other day and a lot of the guys on that were saying you know how uh, they thought Walt Disney had a uh, a love of of this story because of that rags to riches tale mm. because he came from nothing and and got to where he was but for me that's through hard work and effort got him to there not through not patience not through luckily having a fairy godmother who put him in a dress and sent him somewhere yeah where I a agree really rich guy married him I agree, but again, you've got to look at the role role of women in 1950. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, I mean, we can argue for and against it all we like, but that is the best you could hope for in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Right, animation. Yes, animation. Mm. 
So Lisa said it was of her time. Yes, of its time, Yes, sorry. she very much said it was of its time. Um, she talked about how uh, how Cinderella looked. And I think uh, one of the things I was saying to her was was that it's very similar to, to Snow White in that they've very definitely gone for a, a more realistic uh, look and feel for that, for that character than they have for the other characters within, within yeah. the film. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't remember in all honesty, a lot of, she, she, oh, the other, sorry, the other thing that Lacey talked about was, was the colour and the vibrancy of the, of the film in general. Um, yeah. and she was really impressed with the, the, the bits with the dress, so like the, the way the dress appears and when the fairy godmother puts it on, well, those kind of bits. It is, it's an American post-war film and it, that country and that time of history is really known for its sort of optimism and its upwardly mobile economy and things. And this really shows it, doesn't it? It rags to riches works well, but you can see it in the um, in the style, in the opulence, in the in the confidence, in the use of colours. They've they've got over the um, the war mm. and the package films and so on. And it's you know it really comes to life I, here. I do wonder how much of the vibrancy is in the way these films have been remastered because we've got to remember that what we're watching yeah. now isn't how it originally looked although it's similar. and this is well we watched the diamond edition <laughs> the diamond wow. edition Bonnie was unimpressed with how grey her dress was ah. she said why is her dress grey so it's a good point because we, we think of it as being blue but it's uh, it's not really blue it's sort of grey in this film yeah if you meet her in a park it's blue and nice I think that's a shame because I think the pink dress is far nicer. I no, think, not the pink one. The um, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm saying right. that. I think the pink dress is a far nicer dress than the blue dress. I also think the ripped up to shreds pink dress is nicer than the blue dress. Oh, I love the blue dress. That to me, that's the princess dress. Of all the princess dresses that Disney ever create, that's the one. I don't like her hair though. No, I agree with that. And I, I think this is why when <laughs> when, when we do this Anna I don't like Elsa her hair. thing, why, why I prefer Anna to... Elsa is because I think it's the same reason that I prefer women with less makeup and and who are dressed down than than someone who's got an updo and and all the makeup in the world on and. Well, you're in with your podcast host in that case because I look <laughs> a wreck, listeners. I look a wreck. Should we take a picture and put hashtag Seven <laughs> Disney Street wreck? No filter. <laughs> um, animation though, um, the watercolor stuff at the beginning I thought was beautiful. Um, mm when it's kind of setting the scene. Um, it's, it's got your multiplane zooming at the start, which we've kind of got used to. Is it the first one since Snow White to open with that book? Yes. yes. Because that's that's become a bit of a, a Disney tradition. Mm. But until this one, it wasn't a tradition. It was just something they did in one film, wasn't it? It was nice to see it back again. Mm. I've got a question. Would you call the shot when she's in the... where she's outside and she's got a basket and she's... I can't remember what she's doing. Is she in a field or something? Or feeding she, she's chickens. She's probably yeah, feeding the chickens, she's yeah. She's probably talking to a bee or something. Would you call that a trademark shot for Disney? Because that that over-the-top view of, of that is so similar to things that you see in um, like The Little Mermaid, in Pinocchio, in... A- Avatar. <laughs> Die Hard. <laughs> well, I mean, that brings us on to a, a big thing about the animation, is that they use live-action footage as reference again they did the whole film didn't they they did um now it wasn't they used it for reference in snow white as in they would film it the animators would watch it and then they would draw it themselves 
in this case, they had the film clips blown up to full size and then they had the animators not trace them so it wasn't rotoscoping but they wanted to use the same rhythms and timings so to make it cheaper basically so there wouldn't be loads of do-overs and all this kind of thing so they basically had to stick to the same angles and shots that the live action footage had been shot by and some animators would you know come to story meetings and say it would be really great if we could do it from this angle and they would be told oh no, sorry, we can't get the camera there. And one animator said, well, I can get my imagination there, so why don't I just draw it? But because it was just easier and cheaper to work as a team for them all to work from this live-action footage, basically the whole film that you see has been pre-recorded as live-action. It's from the same angles, with the same timing and everything. Yeah, it's interesting, that. I was just thinking about Jeffrey the animator. I was just going to ask you. What, what did he think to having to use live action? Sure, I got some ideas about some new, new angles to, uh, to 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 animate this character, but now you're telling me that I'm I'm constrained by some shots he took in some film. Well, I tell you, I came back from that war, but I feel like I'm finding war right now, sir. I feel like I'm finding war right now. Why don't you take your uh, imagination and? Suppress it deep, deep down inside. That's it, I quit. I'm getting out of here. Bye. Is that the last of Jeffrey? Yeah, I hope Jeffrey does well in the future. Indeed. He had a lot of promise. <laughs> um, okay, I've got some questions about animation. Um, why, is it, why when she's singing a dream is a wish, is everybody drunk? All the animals are drunk. They've all got this oh, like, yeah. lazy, lazy <laughs> drunk thing going on. It's a bit weird. They do. I really like, um, there's a bit at the end of that when a mama mouse pulls in a two baby mouse for cuddles and they all just slide across. It's, it makes me feel cosy. It made me feel I sick. love the mice. I love the mice. Did anyone else think that the, the animation was average to poor? I, yeah, so again, using, using Snow White as a reference point because this is Snow White remade with a slightly different story. Um, like the the animals that you had in Snow White were so so much care and attention to every last little detail of them, and it was beautiful. What you've got in this is some pretty bland characters. I think it's very flat. Yeah. It, well, you've got to remember where they were financially. I think, and they, they had couldn't to, afford better animals. It's the time and effort that I mean. I have moaned at length about the stuff he was spending money on in the early days <laughs> to get to get the look of those yeah, films. Yeah. But you can see the money on the screen now. In this situation, Walt was Walt's involvement was significantly reduced from here on. He, I don't want to say he lost interest, but he lost interest. He was more interested in trains, um, dream <laughs> dreaming about. Isn't? I know he was like building train sets in his back garden. He was. Dreaming about building Disneyland, not Disney World, Disneyland. And he was filming live action films. And he, for mm. two and a half months of this production, he was over in England filming Treasure Island. And they were having Great to film. send scripts um, via the mail. And think what the transatlantic mail will have been like in 1948 when he was doing it. And he would then send notes back via the mail. A little bit so, different to leaving stuff on his desk during Dumbo. Well, yeah, and the fact that he was, he was, you know, ghosting the, not ghosting, that's the opposite when you ignore <laughs> someone. Um, but he was, he was wandering around the animators' rooms looking over the shoulder and making comments in the other films. He's, he's, he's disappeared a bit now. So it really, 
it needed to be done, I don't want to say cheaply, but it needed to be done efficiently. I think that shows. I, I, I do think it mm. really, really shows. You can, no, you can like, understand as well with four million debt that why, why they need to cut corners. Yeah, and there was no like water shots. You know, we always talk about the water in Pinocchio and there, there was nothing particularly like that. There was n- no really detailed backgrounds. They made the decision actually to make those backgrounds quite impressionistic. You know, the castle itself is just shapes, isn't it? And But it is, it is beautiful in its mm. own way. The, the funny thing about this for me is if we'd never had the golden age you'd watch this and and you'd think it was fantastic but we did we we, we had those films you can't you know you can't give you can't forget those backgrounds in snow white or in pinocchio they, they were and know, also amazing. in 1950 clean lines and angles were really in fashion compared to in 1937 if you think about what home decor was like in 1937 with its chintz and its frou-frou and then you think of the typical 1950s American home, the diner, as it were, that we came to know that's all bright colours and shapes. This is edging towards that, I think. Yeah, yeah. I know that there's a there's a zoom into a mouse hole and there's no attempt at any depth to it. <laughs> and I just thought, well, that's a shame. Oh, the bit that really frustrated me was, was when the prince was meeting all the... Um, the prospective brides yeah. and there was no detail on their faces at all the whole time every time they, they came up there was no detail at all or occasionally you could just see like two dots of an eye and then it would zoom out slightly and it would all disappear again and so you know, speaking about two dots what the hell she's got two nostrils but no nose a syndrome <laughs> or I don't get it <laughs> looks like she's been in a terrible accident it, it's that thing isn't it what they're trying to do with Cinderella is make her into something that nobody could say isn't beautiful but at the same time is very nondescript. It, it's a really strange thing. I, I, I have a theory, which is I I think that they, I, I just think they didn't think that they could make a character, like a character animation, look what what people in general would think are beautiful. So when you look at what happens like in the Renaissance period with, with um, Ariel or uh, Esmeralda or so on. Megara. Um, yeah, and Megara. Yeah, suddenly you've got, People with actual features and, and characteristics, they are mm. beautiful people, you know, the beautiful women or beautiful men as well, you know, Eric and so on. Um, but they're very stylized and they're very, very much characters and very individual. Here, what you've got really is another Snow White, someone very bland who actually, you could forget what their face looked like completely because it's mm. not important. And it's a bit of a strange. I actually drew Cinderella and Snow White today at work. Did you? For the record, yeah. But they've got a bit more character about them now, haven't they, in, in the modern day. I don't think Cinderella does actually does she? it's funny because I'm drawing them in my style but I just have to take just enough from them so Pocahontas has got a very specific look Mm. square jaw yeah yeah it's an interesting uh, challenge Mm. I look forward to seeing the end result I did like the way the um, sponge was made to look heavy when the birds lifted it Mm. (laughs) that was a nice just to get uh, a couple more in to help yeah or uh, the sparkles that follow the trail of the fairy godmother's wand it's like, do you know when you used to go on an old website and, um, yeah, uh, you know, the sparkle effect trailing the mouse cursor, you know, on like a certain website. It, was, it reminded me of that. <laughs> I like that she has to give a wand a little shake to get it to work. She sort of bangs it on the on the back, on her hand, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Come on, work, work, work. Um, no. Also, it, it contains um, what is apparently Walt's favourite bit of animation, doesn't mm. it? Oh, the dress. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I think the reveal of the pink dress is better when, when the cupboard door opens. Oh, that's a lovely moment. Do you know what? we? This is the I, transforming it into the blue dress. Yes, sorry, yeah, yeah. Stress. Overall, I'm not 
totally in love with this film but there are some lovely moments the whole fairy godmother bit is magical that revelation of the dress is one of my favorite bits in the whole film mm. and it's so touching as well and i i if we're talking about animation i love the whole mice working thing i love them so in that dress the the little the gags that they've got with putting the pearls on the tail when and all that kind of thing. Lacey was talking about feminism there as well. Not feminism, sorry about about gender stereotyping. Yeah. When, when the girls say, uh, "Leave the sewing to the women." Leave it to the women. Yeah. You're not yeah. anywhere near this needle. Um, I I absolutely love the bit with the with the pink dress. I I'm like from beginning to end. So they've, they've built this whole dress. She goes in thinking she's not going to the ball. She walks in there and the mice have all done this. This thing, it's a huge gesture. It's a really nice reveal of the dress. Uh, she puts it on and goes downstairs and, and says a bit that you didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks stunning. She looks beautiful. And then it is so cutting and horrible the way that they treat her. And that whole bit of ripping the dress uh, off her, ripping off her pearls and all that stuff, it's sad. It's it really makes it. me feel, and this makes me sound materialistic because it's about dress again, but you know in Song of the South That's when exactly what I it gets of. pushed, she gets pushed into the yeah, mud and yeah. she's so happy with the dress and then she gets pushed in the mud. It breaks my heart that. I think it's the disappointment of expectations, isn't it? You know, when Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. The character has that glorious expectation and then they're shattered. I'm just going to go get something and bring it back and you're, you're going to love it. Okay. Well, would you look who Lucifer the cat dragged in. We're right in the middle of recording a podcast. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself quickly? Hello, I'm Lacey Telford and I am a friend of 37 Disney Street. You know, whilst you're here, we might as well learn a little bit more about you. Do you fancy answering some quickfire Disney questions? Yes. <laughs> okay then, here we go. Who's your favourite Disney character? Merida. What's your favourite animated Disney film? Uh, Moana. What's your favourite Disney song? The Lana Del Rey version of Once Upon a Dream. Which film did you watch most as a child? Beauty and the Beast. Lion King or Little Mermaid? Lion King. Name one of the seven dwarfs. Sleepy. Who's your favourite supporting character? I'm going to say Buzz Lightyear. What's your favourite non-animated Disney film? Maleficent. Anna or Elsa? Anna. Favourite villain? Can you count Maleficent as a villain? Yes. I'm going to say Maleficent then. Favourite princess? Tiana. Star Wars or Marvel? Marvel. Donald Goofy or Mickey? Mickey. Disney or Pixar? Disney. And finally, what is your most memorable Disney moment? When my daughter was about two, we went to a wedding in Switzerland. And when the music and the disco came out, as a surprise, and I didn't know this was going to happen, they brought out Minnie Mouse and Mickey Mouse. And the look on her face when she saw Minnie and Mickey Mouse had come out, which it was just pure delight. That's a really great story. Lacey, in the words of Mickey Mouse, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Right, let's go on to music then while he's away. Excellent. Um, yeah, it was there. <laughs> my, yeah. my view on the music is this... Um, it's a great soundtrack the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I was talking to Lacey yesterday that I hadn't noticed, but she's really pointed out, was she she thinks if you close your eyes... Got it. She thinks if you close your eyes, you could know uh, which characters are on uh, the 
film at that point in time because they have their own soundtrack. A bit like um, Peter and the Wolf, I guess, in that sort because of sense. Because of the scar. Well, let me tell you about the scar because it's a bit different to all the other Disney films so far in that the animation, um, the line animation was done and then and edited and then the composer um, composed to the film, which right. is how you do it with live action films these days. Mm. But previously... The composition has always come first and the animators animated to the music. So it's the first time they've done that. And again, it's because it's cheaper and easier to do it that way around. And that explains why they would have certain types of music for certain creatures and things. So the, the, the mice yep. and the cat. And because so he's actually looking at them as he's composing as opposed to trying to do it backwards. Makes a lot of sense. Right, okay. Hugh, what have you got for us? Well, while we were talking about the dress, right, I've got this pop-up book called Disney Princess. A Magical Pop-Up World by Matthew Reinhardt, Ooh. right? And it's got the transformation from the pink dress to the blue dress. Now watch this, right? This isn't very good for podcasting, but I just want you, you can to... video it. And we, we could, we could do you put that. it on but the Twitter account? Yeah, yeah, we could do that. But um, oh, spoilers though, if you want to buy the book. But just listen to just listen to the reactions, right? Watch this, right? Oh yeah, that's her in the pink dress. Oh yeah, this nice. is a pop-up book. Whoa! Wow. That's cool. I don't think we should video that. I think we should just leave it like that. <laughs> it also um, it it um, strengthens my argument that the pink dress is nicer. Um, we'll do a little video of that. I'll put it on Twitter under the hashtag 37 Disney Street pop-up. 37 Disney Street pop-up. Yeah. Check it out. In it. Um, the other thing I'd say about the music is, having listened to... <laughs> In it. <laughs> Uh, the other thing I'd say about the music is that um, I like all of the demos better than any of the songs that are in the actual film. No, I haven't heard the demos, so I'm intrigued. Oh, you want to get Disney Plus, you see. I do. Disney Plus has, has there are... Has it been released? Something like seven, no. eight, nine different... Not Disney Plus, Disney, Disney Life. Life, I apologise. Disney Life, Disney okay. Life. Disney Life. Um, yeah, it's got something like nine demo songs on there. Um... And... Uh, some of them have been replaced by other songs. Some of them you can see where they would have fitted into the film, but um, they're not there. Um, but there's some really nice kind of a bit more Sherman-esque sort of songs mm. in there. Some, some more upbeat things because it's quite a dour affair music-wise, isn't it? Really. So is it the same films that are in the same songs in the film, but demo versions of it, or are there different film different songs? Oh no, different songs. A lot of different oh. songs. Yeah, a lot. There's a song about her mother's dress, for instance, called uh, "My yeah. Mother's Dress." <laughs> <laughs> Um, you should perform that at the next uh, theatre social evening, My Mother's Dress. Oh, you see, I'd like to... You know when they do um, the Broadway adaptations, they sometimes rediscover these old songs. Yeah. It would be nice to see them done, wouldn't it? It would. Um, have you discussed the songs individually yet? To no. no, 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 nothing like that. Good. <laughs> well, you've got... You, you open with Cinderella, don't you? Cinderella. Yay! This is well. It's not the last title song because Alice in Wonderland definitely has a title song. And uh, what's after Alice in Wonderland? Peter Pan doesn't. Peter Pan. Peter Pan. He's a boy, not a man. Hundred and one Dalmatians. The no. sword in the stone. It's a lovely sword in a stone. <laughs> that reminds me of the of the singing sword in there. In, um, uh, Frame Roger Rabbit. <laughs> oh yeah, the, witchcraft. <laughs> it's the um, the skinny Sinatra version, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it starts. <laughs> <laughs> 
It if starts with that, <laughs> that choral um, of its time, Cinderella thing, which is fine. It, it makes you, you know what you're getting when you open the tin. Do you know what I mean? I wonder the what film, the film's going to be about. film starts and it's all very pleasant and nice. But then you go almost straight into, within the first three or four minutes of the film, um, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. Now, this is one of those Disney songs that has really found its place in Disney culture away from its own film, like When You Wish Upon a Star, because it is used in a lot of the fireworks shows and the parades. And, and... I used to get those two mixed up. Mm. Well, they, they have similar placement in mm. things. I did um, a pantomime of Aladdin uh, several years ago where we toured around working men's clubs and me and uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, a mutual friend, Joe um, Jarvis, who was then called Slater, uh, went and did this. She was... Uh, Jasmine, I was Aladdin, and she had to sing this song every night. But the great thing about this this story is just that the guy who uh, who <laughs> who was uh, the bad guy, Abanaza, because it was the pantomime and not the film. Um, he used to have he used to sing uh, to dream the impossible dream from the Man of the Mancha. Oh, I love that song. Yeah, um, badly. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, Maybe don't uh, like it badly. Uh, whilst he was trying to uh, to captivate Princess Jasmine and every night he used to like kiss her hand at the end but on a couple of nights he, he licked the back of her hand oh. <laughs> rather disgustingly do we know this person? Uh, no no oh. right yes I like um, I do really like Sing Sweet Nightingale I do as well and I like that it's sang so badly at the start by yeah. the uh, the yeah, that, it's a really good transition into what is essentially a pointless song but a beautiful song but it, it transitions really nicely within the film uh, interesting fact about that les paul had been um experimenting with multi-tracks and of guitar fame of guitar fame mm-hmm. and this is the first vocal multi-track i think yeah. in i don't know in history i don't know exactly what it is but it's one of the first vocal multi-tracks done on the les paul system I, I did know that, but, but only because, again, one of the featurettes I was, I was watching when they were talking about the lady who played Cinderella, whatever yeah. her name is, um, that, that he said, um, I've been paying this money for the Andrews sisters all this time when I, when I could have just used one person. Yeah. <laughs> A good example of that is uh, Les Paul and uh, what was her name? I've forgotten her name now, but the, if you listen to... Mary. Mary something. Uh, <laughs> if you listen to How High the Moon, that's... Uh, I think that was like one of the first ones they did and it's just incredible. Well, they're harmonising. Mm. Yeah. Um, let me just find her name. Les Paul and Mary. Ford. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. In it. <laughs> that, was, that was my Twitter account because Chat Disney just liked one of our posts. We do like Chat Disney, don't we? We do. She's got a bit of a cold at the moment, I noticed. Uh, on oh, Twitter get well soon. My sticky shoes. <laughs> she should do it like that, the podcast. Now, they, Bib- they did one like that a few weeks ago, didn't they? Bibbity Bobbity Boo was nominated for the Oscar, and uh, I don't think that's a very good song. Then there's hardly any singing in it either, because most of it's just her telling a rhyme. Actually, uh, I didn't have much of an opinion on this, but funnily enough, when I listened to Chat Disney's least favourite Disney song I recently. I listened to that recently, yeah. Well, they talked about this and it's just the fact that it's made of nonsense that really sort of annoyed them. I always preferred the... Um, the sound the one of from... It is ridiculous. 
I, I always sing, having some tuna, maybe a boona, bippity boppity boo, because I literally don't know the words. <laughs> Put yeah. them together and what have you got? <laughs> I always preferred it's Merlin's song, which is basically the same song. In, oh, uh, yeah. I can't remember when, what it's called. Well, we'll come to that, won't we? But when he's yeah. making plates dance. Yes, that's the one, yeah. Doing the washing up. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. And so, then you... So this is love. So this is love. La, 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 la. That's... Uh, that's about as placid and um, insipid as she is. They're all it? nice songs, aren't they? Yeah. They're, they're yeah. all songs that, that if they'd wanted to stick them into Make Mine Music and, and animate it, then we'd have been quite happy with it. But he, he actually got some guys from Tin Pan Alley to do this. Tin Pan Alley was basically a song factory for the you know music industry of the time. And he decided quite cynically, really... That uh, he wanted to sell some records, and they want they were, they created their own record publishing label, especially for this. And he just thought, I want something that's going to sell, and so he got some guys from the Tin Pan Alley to write the songs, and it did. It was a really, really, really high selling album. Well, I guess you got to start somewhere, haven't you? Yeah. I think there's some statistics where it's like one of the highest selling albums of the fifties. And you think how hot the fifties was for music with Elvis and stuff. I can't remember where it came, but it was very high up. But, but, pretty much all of the music that's come prior to this film has been better than the music from this film. Yeah, but, but it wasn't. They picked a bad one to start making records with, didn't they? Do you know what I think yeah. it is? It's it's the curse of the greatest showman. I think, if anybody doesn't know, that the greatest showman is a terribly poor example of musical theatre. However, it is a good pop album. And I think whereas the songs that went with the narrative, the way that musical theatre is meant to, they don't translate as well to just sit and listen without the films. Whereas this, because they're all, none of them are really attached to the action in the film, except Bibbity Bobbity Boo. So it's easier to just listen to them in separation. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, well, yeah, I, I, I said that about Moana, didn't I? Like the yeah. songs don't stand alone, there's too much exposition in them. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't know, but, but not, would you not, listen to not it? Not all though? of them, but some of them. Would you listen to it? Yeah. Would you? And to what? <laughs> to, to Cinderella? <laughs> would I listen the to soundtrack? it? The soundtrack? Yeah, I think I would. Yeah? It's kitsch. And I, I like a bit of kitsch. Okay. It's very mm. of its time. Mm. It's, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, I get that it's old. I'm just... You're not going to dance around the kitchen, though, are you? No. Well, very slowly, if you did. But, you know, you could do some work in the study with it on in the background. Yeah. Whilst drawing some flowers. Yeah, but the, there's better music in the late 40s, early 50s, surely. I think I would like to listen to it in the bath. Well, you can. You I, shall go to the bath. I will. <laughs> it's that kind of lounging in the bath, bubbles all around kind of music, isn't it? Okay, shall we score it? Let's, let's score it. And before we do, Chris, because you have the inquiring mind, would you like to know the IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes scores? Do you know what? I was just thinking that I'd really like to know the IMDb and Rotten Tomato scores. Tomato! <laughs> I'm just messing with you, you say. Yeah, crikey, we say tomato around here. Right. <laughs> well, you don't usually. The IMDb <laughs> score is 7.3. Oh, low. Mm, I was expecting more than that. The critic score from Rotten Tomatoes is 97%. Preposterous. What? I think it's got nostalgia and um, history on its side. But can you remember what the critic score was for Ichabod and Mr. Toad? That was like 96 or something. Yeah. 
they they just they love old Disney, don't they? They're like that's where it's at. That's how it should be. And the audience uh, score from Rotten Tomatoes was eighty percent. Okay, very good. Story then. Who wants to go first? I give it a five. <laughs> and nothing to say about it. We know you didn't like I it. I give it a five. I just yeah, just it's just a bit weak for me. Not much of a story and a lot of padding. I think Cinderella itself is a weak story, no matter what its iteration. I think that the padding to do with the mice and the cat, I really did enjoy, so I'm going to give it a six. I nearly said seven then. Well, I went back to my Snow White scores for this because I think this is a better story than Snow White, so I feel that I had to score it better than Snow White. Um... I think the subplot of the mice adds a lot more to it than uh, than the uh, dwarfs did to uh, to Snow White. Um, I'm a bit gutted that they took out things like um, the the stepsisters cutting their heel or toes off to try and fit in the slipper. I think that would have been a nice addition. Oh. Possibly that would work for the kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think Sondheim tells this story better in Into the Woods, but uh, I've given it an eight. Can I change mine to seven? Because I was so close to saying seven and you've just, you've persuaded me with your comparison to Snow White. So the official score from Lucy is seven. So go on, Chris. Animation. Um, the, I'm just looking at what, no, sorry, I'm just looking at what I've written and trying to decide whether I agree with it. This nice set pieces, the mice themselves and what happens with them, as well as for me helping move the plot along, is something that you could pull out and, and watch as a short on its own. Um, so in that sense, you know, I think the mice are quite nice characters. I think, I think the the cat is a really nice bit of animation. I think some nice stylized bits. I love the bit. I didn't talk about this before. I I love the bit when they show the palace and it's and it's this big brightly coloured palace. All the people are silhouetted and you can just see this woman going up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then there's the water reflections underneath as well. There's some really nice bits, but none of it even compares to what happens in Snow White or anything that's gone before, really. So um, I've given it a... Ooh, I'm going to give it less than I've given it. I'm giving it a six. I give it a seven because it's just okay. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, uh, I disagree with you because I've actually got written down here, quite simply, Lucifer is rubbish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I just thought it was very flat and very sort of cut out looking and cartoony. Uh, he didn't sort of fit in with everything else. He doesn't look like a cat much. He looks familiar to me though and I think that's because of the characterisation of animals that we're going to see in some of the films coming up I suppose yeah, so maybe does, that's why I like he it. He does look like Cheshire Cat. He does look like a Cheshire Cat, yeah. So I give it a seven because it just didn't really dazzle me. I've just been reminded of one section that I really liked that I haven't mentioned and that's um, when she runs after she's had a pink dress torn up and she runs in desperation out of the house she's running through the darkness then she runs through a door and it opens and this long silhouette of her in golden light comes Mm. do you know which bit I mean that's a beautiful shot I love the look of the castle I love the book opening at the beginning I love the way the town is drawn in the fact that there's not much detail between the castle and the Tremaine House because why would there be we're not interested in that I love a lot of this. I think the weakest thing is the actual character animation that makes up the body of the film, but the artwork that surrounds it is actually really nice. So I've given it a seven. Cool. 
Out of interest, um, because the, one of the things that I read about, and I forgot to mention earlier, um, was that the um, Madame Tresemme, as he keeps calling her, Tresemme, uh, was was drawn based on um, a, a man. Audrey. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 woman who played the part, mm. and that. Um, Maleficent, Eleanor Audley. Eleanor Audley. And that Maleficent was as well. And if you put them both side by side, they do have huge similarities in their appearance. Like I was say, they do have huge noses. <laughs> um, how Have we seen this before? That kind of... Um, what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for, Hugh? Where you draw somebody like a cartoon. Caricature. Thank you. Have we had that caricaturing before? <laughs> and there's a silence. Our was expert I'm... doesn't know. I was a broken. Um, oh, yeah, we have, we have because because we've had. Um, and, uh, Jiminy we've had Cricket at least one of the... was inspired by his famous singing guy, who I can't remember. The, he was physically inspired by Cliff, him. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and we've had at least one or two of the animators appear in in scenes, haven't we? In like in the court scene in the Kibota, Mr. Toad, I think. Oh. Who was who was Walt? Somebody was based on Walt. I can't remember who it was now. Was it Mr. Winky? <laughs> Mr. Winky. <laughs> I don't know. There we are. Well, that was a pointless conversation, wasn't it? <laughs> Music. Five. Um, it, it was instantly forgettable, but it was there. There's some good stuff in it, but, but nothing to really grab me. I think... I. I personally don't think it's the best music Disney have ever done. However, it's got a real solid place in Disney canon, in Disney history. And as a result, things like Dream is a Wish Your Heart Make, Boobity Bobbity Boo, do stir stuff in me. Ooh. <laughs> Just because of the, the memories of the Disney parks, etc. You control so your life. <laughs> I've given it a six. Uh, I also gave it a six because while it's not particularly amazing or memorable, a lot of it... Um, a dream is a wish your heart makes. Is like you know, it's a Disney pillar, and that lifts it up to a six for me. Uh, it has its moments. It's just nice. Mm. Six. Should we see what the kids think? Cinderella is the main character of the story because it's called Cinderella, and to, Cinderella had to do all the housework. The stepmother and the two sisters were lazy. They, they just sit in bed all day and then mother tells them to do the dishes, the floors, the windows. She just can't get enough. Well, the mice try to get Lisa to go away so they can get breakfast from outside. One of the mice um, put the bowl of milk in his face. They make a dress and they sing a song, Cinderella, Cinderella. The pink dress was beautiful. Ooh. And then the fairy godmother comes and turns the animals into people and the mice into horses. But when she went into the blue dress, it looked grey. I thought it was blue, but yeah. And then she goes to the festival. You have to ask like a princess if you go into the ball and the prettiest one he says you can dance and that means you get married the prince goes and finds you then they fall in love happily ever after 
that there isn't much of a story there, but I like the mice bits better. The the mice are a bit funny, and Gus is the funniest one to me. My favourite bit was the bit at the end because it uh, lived happily ever after. My favourite bit was the pink dress. My favourite song is A Dream Is A Wish, My Heart Mix. My favourite song was So This Is Love. La 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 la. She doesn't know what love looks like. Or she don't know what it is because she's never been out of the house. She's been cleaning all the time. My favourite character is Gus the Mouse because he's very funny. My favourite characters are the mice because they help Cinderella whenever there's trouble from the sisters but Lucifer isn't a helper so she's not my favourite character. I would give it a 4 out of 5. I would give it 3 stars because it's quite nice. So that gives us a grand total, if my maths is correct, of 64. What does that do to the table, Hugh? Well, Chris, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm not glad you asked, because... Uh, you haven't really done down yet. <laughs> so, Cinderella, 64. That's really low, actually. Yeah, that puts it... Um, what's nearest to it? Fun and Fancy Free was 67. Make, <gasps> my, make my Music and Melody Design was 61. And uh, it sits between those. Wow. Whoa. So not as good as Fun and Fancy Free. <laughs> but better than Make My Music and Melody Time. Do you think three weeks off has made us really brutal? I think it has. I think I've brought the scores down a bit today, haven't I? Well, I don't know. I've, I've scored the music very low. I think I need to start looking back over my other scores so we can like directly compare them because that feels really harsh. Um, As with other films, I thoroughly enjoyed it personally. I know you didn't, Hugh, but I did. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't looking forward to seeing it because... Um, we spent so much time recently watching things I've never seen before, and this is one I have seen, so I wasn't so bothered about seeing it again. That might have. I think it stands up, though. I think it sta- it stands up for multiple watches in you know the twenty twenties, which we haven't reached yet. It's a classic for a new generation. It is. I don't want to ever watch it again. <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful. She really loves it. I don't know why they just can't be together. <laughs> Hugh's Cry Factor. The Cry Factor. I've given it a two. It's quite low. You're not going to be sobbing all the way through it, but you know you might have some sympathy for Cinderella, even though I didn't. Especially when she's crying about the dress. You know, you might get a bit moist of eye. Oh, it was horrible, was that bit? Yeah, so I, give I really it, feel for her on yeah, that. Yeah, I do as well. So I give it two teardrops, which would sound like this. Well, the slipper is finally on Hugh's foot and he's off to the palace with Prince Charming. So I Woo-hoo! guess we should <laughs> So I guess we should go too. In the words of the fairy godmother, hop in dear, we can't waste time. Goodbye everyone. Bobbity, bobbity, bye. Good night, children. Oh I forgot to say actually, this film is the second use of Why are you looking confused? When is that? I don't know, but it happens. Okay. <laughs> I noted it down. <laughs>